great events create great brands. And it takes a village to put on an event that engages, excites, and connects audiences to your brand. And we're that village. I'm Alyssa. I'm Paulina. And I'm Rachel. And you're listening to Great Events, the podcast for all people interested in events and marketing. So on our minds today, we want to talk a little bit about global event trends and what we're seeing happening, not just in North America. I think many of you know this, but Cvent is headquartered in the Washington, D.C. area, but we have offices all over the globe. So we don't just want to bring you the North American perspective. We want to show you guys what's happening in other parts of the world as well. So that is why we've brought on to chat with us today to the Great Events Podcast, our esteemed colleague from across the pond, Felicia Asedu. Welcome, Felicia. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. Tell everybody a little bit about yourself just so that uh, they can get a flavor of you know who you are and what you bring to the table in this conversation about events. I am Senior Marketing Manager in Europe and I look after the marketing team. And that means that in a field marketing capacity, we do all sorts of things from lead generation to planning events, attending events, and pretty much all things marketing. And I like speaking at events. So if I speak too much, just cut me off. We like people who speak a lot on this podcast. And we love events, so you're in a good place. So trends, that's what we're here to talk about today, global trends specifically. We are on the heels of Cvent Connect. You talked a little bit about this, this notion of the return to in-person, which we believe is kind of a macro trend across the globe. I don't want to put words in your mouth, Rachel, but I'm pretty sure there was a direct quote that you had. In-person is back, baby. But Felicia, I want to start things off with you because you are our guest today. You know, what do you see that's going on in Europe? What are you guys noticing? Are in-person events back? Is it more of the same? And and what might be different too? We've had a bit of an up and down time of it because for us, in-person events seemed to return about September of last year with International Confex. And everyone was was waiting for Confex. They were like, let's just see what happens at Confex and we'll decide whether in-person events are back. So we had Confex, then we had Connect Europe. And it seemed that in-person events were ready to rock. And then we had a little blip of that virus that we don't want to mention like anymore. And that shut our doors a bit. And then suddenly we had like one or two months of quiet. And now it's like, boom, boom, boom. There's an in-person event every two days or something. So it is everybody's out the gate, ready to do their in-person events, which we like to see from a C-Event perspective. I feel like whenever I look at Felicia's social media, she's always at an industry event an awards program, a trade show, one of our own events, like you are all over the map. Pretty much. Well, I've got to the point where I have to start saying no. And I'm like, I don't want to be in that position to say no to events. I love going. Hey, what a luxury though, because we were like begging for this type of activity, you know, just a few months prior. So that's good to hear. So any kind of common themes or conversations that are happening, you know, yes, people are back, they're talking, they're in person, or maybe they're in a hybrid space. So at least they have that accessible component too, for those that aren't able or willing to travel. But are there any kind of common themes that you're seeing coming out of this beyond just, okay, we're back, we're meeting? I think people are not quite sure how to get back to it. I've been speaking to some of our internal people and they're saying all the conversations they're having with event planners that are trying to get back on site are quite late in the day. You know, they're they're saying they've got events coming up in the next four to six weeks, trying to turn around things like badging and mobile apps. And it just isn't the same as trying to do a virtual event. You know, that on-site component needs a bit more time, especially from a supply chain perspective. You're going to get the stock, are you choosing the right stock? 
you need time to think about those things. So I think that's been a, a trend with that return to it in person is the, how do we do that? It's a little bit of like dusting the rust off, right? Like we talked about this, it's like even networking when you're in person, it's like, okay, here's how I have a, a normal conversation with another human face to face. But when you're planning these types of events, you have to remember, okay, let's go back to events 101, how we used to plan in person, but then plus some of the hybrid stuff too. So you have these additional components that people are thinking through as they're planning and their timelines are just, I mean, I know we had to deal with that when we were returning to both Connect Europe last year and Connect US. It's like, let's back this up a little bit and really think through everything that we have to plan for and staff for and buy. There's just a lot of those things that you're like, you can't just spin up a virtual event in, in a month. You have to actually put time into how we're going to book travel and plan for things financially. And this is like that constant battle with stakeholder expectations, right? And I think like many of the, the planning industry, the meetings and events industry dealt with this with shocking ease as, you know, the P word happened in 2020, where everyone was capable of shortened lead times, basically turning in-person events to virtual events overnight, right? And so those expectations were set now with stakeholder groups that, oh, it's possible to do that. But now transitioning back to an in-person environment, it's not so easily done, right? Like those lead times are longer. The planning process needs to ensue. I would be very curious too, because I know you're working on a number of events for us that are definitely going back to an in-person environment for the first time. My team is working on, notably right off the cuff, three upcoming events. We have the Travel Summit at the end of May, which is predominantly a virtual event, but incorporates some in-person experiences, predominantly around the networking programming. And for us, we're securing venues with about a month lead time. So to Felicia's point, maybe not necessarily around badging purposes and kind of tactical projects, but just venue availability. We're only a month out. Yes, it is the beginning of the week, but an evening event for 50 people in, in, in a dedicated space in, in major metropolitan cities is going to have some availability constraints. And so we're seeing that on our side from the sourcing perspective. On the other side of the house, like our internal event programs, we have our president's trip, right? Our business leaders retreat. And that is taking place in Mexico. We haven't done this event in two years. And so it's kind of going back to our roots, understanding what the purpose of the event is, sort of level setting expectations. Rachel mentions how much time, lead time we have to book travel. Well, when you're booking international travel, you know, there's some additional requirements still. Yes, masks are removed from most major airports and most major airlines, but there's still quite a bit that I think needs to be taken into consideration. I think you still need to take a COVID test depending on where you're traveling. We have colleagues who just traveled to St. Lucia and, and there's still mask mandates in general areas. So all of these sort of fluctuating guidelines and parameters, depending on where you're looking to host the event from a health and safety perspective, but also from a logistical perspective. And then, of course, all of us are contributing to our program, Cement Connect, in Europe, specifically in, in London in October. And you know, we're taking all of the learnings from the U.S. program, but obviously want to be conscious of what these sort of more micro trends are, particularly in London. So our team is is working on all of that. I just want to share one small tidbit that was an interesting finding from the U.S. event, and that was on-site attendee behavior and how it was such a far departure of what on-site attendee behavior was pre-pandemic. Alyssa, you, you and I know this better than anyone, but we used attendee 
show rates as benchmarking data to know, okay, this is how many sessions we should do because we see about 65% of the total audience going to a breakout session during the first time block. And then we see sort of drop off at every time block. I mean, we saw insane early show rates. We saw, I think it was something like 93% show rate for our first time block of sessions, which great problem to have running out of room only, but then massive drop off after lunch. And this is just sort of, I think that learned attention span behavior that we've all kind of been accustomed to or growing accustomed to in this work from home, work remote environment. I'll also say we went through record numbers of coffee gallons on days one and two, which I mean, when I say record number, then I can't, I don't even feel right saying it out loud, how many gallons of coffee we went through, but people are used to basically refilling their coffee cup at their leisure, you know, at home. And I think having it available to them on site, it was that sort of habitual kind of experience. Or their afternoon nap. I was going to say, how can we apply this to Steven Connect Europe, right? So are we going to be going through more tea this year? <laughs> Hydrating everyone, but just a lot of interesting attendee behavior changes from the pre-pandemic era to now. And I feel like interesting to draw sort of these learnings from what it's been like to be remote and how we can knowledge share what they are going forward. I talked to some attendees on site, Paulina, to your point, and, and they were just exhausted. They're like, being in an event like this again, we're so excited to be here. We're gung-ho in the morning. And then by like 3 p.m., there is not enough coffee in the world to keep you uh, going. So like, I know some people had to go back, take a break. So that just like might inform how you design your agendas as people start to return a little bit more because you should break in those breaks for people or networking where it's not as much hard hitting content, give them some time to like have a little downtime, maybe go to a wellness area within your events program. If you have like sponsor lounges or time for them to really not have hard hitting content in their face every single second. And that's a big trend we're seeing over here with regards to things like sustainability and wellness. I went to an MPI event recently and this wonderful woman, Helen Moon, who has spoken for us at Connect before, she had like a quiet, relaxing area, which had these green lights for people to go into if they just needed a moment to chill out on a bed. And I was like, wow, is this a thing now? But people use the room. They need a moment to just like de-stress from all these people coming at them. And similarly, <laughs> I was at an event where someone tried to have a meeting with me and I was like, should we just create a Zoom when we get back to our offices? And they were like, no, we're here. We're literally here now. <laughs> have the meeting. <laughs> just such a change in how to deal with things, man. But it's interesting because these are things that kind of hit your bottom line, how much money you're spending on food and beverage, what these additional sort of wellness environments will cost. And I mean, Rach, you and I are knee deep in, in budgeting conversations for all of these events and what our roadmap looks like. It's impacting what projections look like. I think significant changes have been made to our events budget, but also from a resourcing standpoint. So like I know other companies and other, I was lucky enough to be able to talk to a couple attendees at, at Connect um, US. And there, a lot of people have the same challenges of like not being able to find enough staff. So they're going to have to hire staff. And that's like, you know, a big market right now. So I would say that that even borders on the trend line of just like getting agile staffing. But we didn't have that necessarily baked in year over year. We have a pretty robust team here that manages things. Staffing's always been a component of it, but it's almost like we had to elevate that a little bit from a budget perspective, focusing on 
trying to put more time and energy into focusing on sustainability from a corporate standpoint is going to have impacts to your budget, especially if you need the hotel to buy something specific, whether it's a boxed water that's paper product versus the bottled waters that they have on site, you know, or paper cups or whatever you're trying to do from a sustainability standpoint, they might not have that in-house and they might have to special order it. There's talks about putting things like that in your contracting with hotels so that you are sustainably responsible, but that might impact your bottom line. And I would also say like the technology to support these programs too, you need to factor that into it, especially if you're having a hybrid component, especially if you do need a mobile app and that's part of sustainability. I mean, no one's printing things anymore, so not in our world anyway. So those are things that definitely impact it. And then I would say actual people that want to come and support it. So you may have the attendees, and this might just be a North America trend because I know how gung-ho some of the UK and Europeans are to get back to supporting events in person. But there are some people still in, in North America that don't feel comfortable traveling to events and can't support them. So that's on our radar too, is if we don't have enough people to go and actually support them. We might need to pay for someone else like supporting from a staffing perspective. So those are just like some little trends. I think the other thing is the AV lead time that you need for these things. Like four AV companies are dealing with staffing issues as well. And you can't just contract them 60 days before. They need more lead time to prepare and get people to actually support your program. And we're lucky to have nice partners that reserve things like that for us if there is last minute details. But those also factor into your budget and resourcing. I think from like a global events perspective, we were looking at our roadmaps coming up and you know, we're obviously budgeting for a return of in-person, but we have our virtual events as well. And we have our hybrid events and all of that factors into resourcing and bandwidth and ultimately comes down to cost and what we can and can't do physically, like as a human being, <laughs> there's, there's just like, everyone's so excited to put more events on the roadmap and no one's more excited than our team. Obviously, Pauline and I will we love events. This is why we're in this industry, in this profession, but there's only so many hours in a day and so many dollars that you have. So, you know, there's just like a priority bandwidth juggling component of, of, of all the trends. You took the words out of my mouth on that because what I was kind of like gleaning from you as you were saying that, Rach, is like we're in this era of like extreme balancing and balancing extremes, right? So we have extreme audience preferences where they need to be able to be satisfied in in-person environments or virtual environments. Like they have all of these preferences now that they may not have had before. So we need to accommodate those options. They also have preferences for how they like their water served, whether that's in a bottle or a paper cup or chilled or not chilled. And yet we have corporate objectives over here that are sustainably minded that we're having to influence in our program. So it's this extreme balance of audience experience and expectations, but also with our business desires, our business goals, our business objectives, and making sure that neither one is overstepping the other or is compromising the other one's ability to be successful. So I just, it's really interesting to see that all kind of coming to a head in this post-pandemic era that we're in. I don't know, Felicia, if you want to add more from the European vantage point there. Absolutely. And I know you sort of nodded to it with sustainability, but I am being told it is part of literally every conversation. And I know that from like the speaking sessions I'm asked to do, like I have a breakfast on sustainability I'm going to speak on tomorrow. Most people, are, if I say, hey, what's trending? What should we talk about? They're like sustainability, sustainability. And then when prospects and clients are coming to us, they're saying, 
How are you helping us to be sustainable? I need an app because I have to be sustainable. I can't do business with you unless you're going to prove that you're sustainable. It's actually quite overwhelming in some ways because everybody's trying to do something from small businesses, medium and enterprise. And I know typically it was with more the enterprise market and now it's everybody. And we aren't in that moment anymore where people can kind of say we're thinking about it. We have to be proactively doing something about it and showcasing and measuring what we're doing. And you're not only is the organization now wanting to deliver, but your audiences are expecting that too, which is also an interesting point too. It's not the audience is expecting your sustainable initiatives to be present and available to them, like that they can see your impact and your input. Oh, definitely. And no disrespect to people that are my age and older. I won't tell anyone how old I am, but like, apparently I'm getting old, (laughs) but apparently there's this rise of the centennials and I've got a cunning plans and talk about this at Connect Europe. And the centennials apparently have demands on us, on people our age and older, of what they will tolerate, what they will come to, how much attention they're willing to give you before they clearly walk out. And I think they are driving, quite rightly so, us to be better. They're saying to to us, we expect very good content, we expect you to be sustainable, we expect you to take care of us, and you better do it, otherwise I will walk out. And I think people of my generation and older would be like, oh, I wish they had this. I wish they would have done that. Yeah, we were toxically codependent. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. So I think that's a massive trend for us. And I think that's also what's lowering our audience numbers. We've seen the return to in-person hasn't yielded the same level of audience numbers. And I think it's because people are being very choosy on what they'll give their time to. And why should I go out? Give me a reason. And we're having to balance that as well. I think that's so fair. I I think that's so fair, Felicia. But I also think that stresses the importance of the experience that you ultimately deliver and making sure that Rachel and Paulina, you were talking about just how we're crafting agendas and using the data that we're gleaning from this experimentation that we're living through to build a better experience for the next event so that we capture attention so that they give us their timeshare that Felicia is just talking about. Time is money. So what do you think dictates or, I mean, obviously attending the event and experiencing it, you're able to shape your own opinions and say, hey, they met the mark, they didn't meet the mark. But if you're part of the storyline of the event is the sustainability factor, is showcasing the macro micro trends, what is the best way? I mean, obviously promoting it, but is that part of your promotional plan? Does it sound like you're kind of just, does it sound disingenuous if you're like, hey, we have a sustainability track. How does it not come across too self-serving and braggadocious? Exactly. I hear. Now, one of the best companies over here that did that is Anita Howard from ICE. She had an event last year. and She proactively said, listen, I'm not doing badges. I'm doing mugs that have your label on it, kind of like a thing of who you are and your mug personalized. And then you can use that mug forevermore. You'll also be using that mug to get your water throughout the day. So she injected the merchandise that could have been trash, let's be honest, into, but that's your badge. And she had a lanyard with this mug into take that mug home and use it into, I'm going to give you water stations. And I think that kind of thing, it was just one of those things that she was like, I'm just doing that because my agenda is about being sustainable. And she also made sure that our napkins were things that we could take home and use again, and they weren't going to be thrown away. And I think having that alongside the top track, the content, You know, she told us in advance, this is what you're going to have because this is what we're doing here. And we all agreed to it. And we said, nice idea. But I do think that there's opportunity because there is 
a need for people to learn about how to take some of what we're doing and apply it to their own daily lives, right? Like we're usually talking in the context of business, but sometimes those demonstrative activities, like the the ice example is perfect, right? It's like, well, we give you a badge and then you have this reusable cup and it's something that you can take with you home, right? There's practical application. And it was very deliberate and overt. She was telling them this is a tool that you should use in your life. Didn't use it in her promotional assets, but used it as a way to describe how to be more sustainable and take something with you from the event. So I can go back and forth on this, right? Like you don't want to see make it seem like your brand is disingenuous, but you also want to leave with those practical, actionable takeaways, which we're trying to do at every event. What's the lasting memory? And if the lasting memory could be something that is sustainably minded, I think that there's power in that too. If we use these as moments to instruct and teach and not just be so subtle. And here's another example. Went to another event, AEO forum. They did vegetarian food, which is like everybody saying that, go veggie. But here's what stood out for me and why I remember it. It tasted fantastic. And I was like, did they do a tasting? Because everything, every meal was like, this is amazing. Like your taste buds are going all over the place. So I think if you're going to go veggie or vegan. Do it right. (laughs) (laughs) Make it taste good. I was going to say like the opposite. I've had experiences where it wasn't so great. Yeah. And then you don't take that home with you, right? Like you're not going to apply that. Whereas Felicia, you're like, I'm going to cook veggie or vegan tonight because I had this lasting memory with an alternative way of thinking about diet. That's a great question, Paulina. I like that one. I like the thought provoking moments. All right. Well, anybody have any final takeaways before we wrap this week's episode up? I can go around the horn. Felicia, anything to add to the table? I got this from you, Alyssa, to be honest, but I, I agree with it wholeheartedly. In one of our webinars, you said experiment, like you had this little scientist girl and you were saying just experiment. And I think it is a moment of experimentation alongside some good planning, just because of those lead times that we spoke about. But if you can think in advance and just kind of think, hey, what do I want my audience to leave with? Then try some stuff. I think it's a good moment for that. People are willing, I think, at this moment to come along with you on that journey. I heard that sentiment loud and clear at Cvent Connect too, which was, you know, it wasn't my my words that were stolen. It was definitely like words of the market and the industry at large. Rachel, did, were you going to add something there too? No, I think that that's like a perfect place to close. I think go forth and, and experiment is like the best way to get on some of these trends is just work it in with the data. Like Paulina said, the behavioral trends are so important to like glean and learn from. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Great Events, a podcast by Seabunk. If you want more resources on how to make your events great, go to community.cvent.com. That's community.cvent.com. Or if you've got a question for us or just want to say hi, email us at greatevents at cvent.com.